0: Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to begin the final book of the 12 minor prophets and also the final prophet to say prophecy from God and that is the prophet Malachi or Malachi. As the last prophet, the the one who uh, said his prophecy and thus transitioned after Malachi's prophecies into the period dominated by the rabbis, by the rabbis of the Anshaykh Neser HaGadolah, the men of the Great Assembly, which eventually led to the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud. Malachi represents a very important figure in the history of the Jewish people, the last one to speak the word of god so it, these are the these are um ideas expressed here in malachi that we should really uh, take to heart uh the final chapter that it's a it's a short book of just three chapters the final one is somewhat more famous than the first two but uh, there's a lot to learn from the entire book of course malachi lived at least this is the tradition and uh this is most consistent with the words of the book and its placement He's, he prophesied several generations after the second, basically, the second temple had, was built. So we studied the, the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah, who, who said their prophecies early in the days of the second temple, in the beginning days when it was being built, and then for several years afterwards, as we just studied their book. And we will note that in the time of Haggai and Zechariah, those two prophets had the, the lofty and optimistic notion that this temple had the potential to be the final redemption, the great redemption that had predict, been predicted and by the great prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> and the potential was there for the people to make it happen. How, and there was a king, who uh, or a potential king, Zerubbabel, who was a descendant of King David, and all of the uh, pieces were in place, all the people needed to do was make it happen. By the time Malachi came along, which was several generations later, it seemed very distant indeed. <clears throat> and the idea that this temple was gonna be the temple and gonna be the final redemption seemed seemed impossible already to the people. Redemption seemed to be very far off. Um, the people were still in, uh, Worshiping in a temple that was, um, that was not at all as grand and as beautiful as they would have expected. The political situation of the Jewish people was such that they were subservient to the other nations, the other nations that were not worshipers of God. Um, they were um, <clears throat> uh, living in a time of poverty, a time of suffering. And the great, great redemption seemed far away and there was no longer a leader, a political leader, a descendant of of David who might just be the Messiah, uh, that zerubbabel had the potential to be. Exactly what it was, like what did the people do wrong, what opportunity did they miss, is a very difficult um, um, <clears throat> question. Uh, Among the rabbinic traditions, there's various traditions, one being that the people started to assimilate into the ways of the Persian Empire, both through intermarriage and through adopting their ways. The um, other possibilities are the fact that the Jewish people remained in exile. They, They had the opportunity to all come to the land of Israel and participate in the redemption, but they didn't. They chose to stay in exile, which to some degree is related to the assimilation issue, these are both suggested by uh, various traditions um, in, in 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 the Jewish tradition. Um, I think that it's important for us to really understand what it was by looking in the words of Malachi, seeing through the words of Malachi the criticisms that he levels against the people, and from there we will come to an understanding of what it was that um, that that that. Uh, or what was missing? Why was it that this redemption, that this second temple didn't become the ultimate redemption? Didn't see the arrival of the true Messiah and so on? Didn't see the, 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 um, the wonderful prophecies of, of a world at peace and a united world in the, uh, in the unity of purpose and, and so on? Why, what was wrong? What did the people do wrong? How was this opportunity lost? And I think that, I'm going to give you a little hint beforehand, and the sense that one gets from Malachi, that the people had given up. As we read through the words, you get the feeling and you see the people have just, they've become cynical. They've completely lost hope. That cynicism itself, I, I'm i going to suggest, that cynicism itself, that lack of hope itself, that... that um. That, that lack of the faith in their own ability to bring about the redemption, that is, the fact that the people were waiting for God, looking for some grand miracle to come from heaven and didn't see it, instead of looking at themselves, what they can do better to make it happen, that in and it of itself was the reason why the Second Temple did not become the Ultimate Temple and the Final Redemption. I think we can see that. It's kind of a theme that we're going to see as we read through Malachi. But of course there's a lot to learn. So let us start to read. Massa, the burden. I've been translating consistently the term Massa, which we've seen in Isaiah, we've seen in Zechariah and several other places. That masa is often translated as a announcement or a pronouncement. I've been translating it as a burden. Devar Adonai of the word of God, El Yisrael, to the people of Israel, biyad malachi, in the hand, and the messenger, through the messenger of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. Now, um, the... It could have just said, Devar Hashem, the word of God to Israel in the end of Malachi, but it said, no, the burden of the word of God. Because that relationship, the fact that God speaks to Israel, the fact that God gives Israel the special message and speaks to them, creates a burden. That they have to listen to this message, accomplish the teaching that God is trying to teach them, and bring about what it is that God wants to bring about. And the fact that they did not, was a failure. And the fact that we do not today is a failure on our part. That's why it is a burden. Masa, it is a burden. What kinds of things? God says, I have loved you. Now, this creates a tremendous burden. When someone comes and says, I love you, that, cre- that creates an obligation. There is love between us, God says, but the people, Rather than take that and say, okay, God has loved us and has treated us with love, therefore, we're obligated to treat God with respect. This is the key thing that we're gonna see we're, in this entire chapter. Because He loves us, we should respect Him. Instead, it was easier for us to say, and you, the Jewish people said, how have you shown us this love? <laughs> what kind of love have you shown us? Look where we are. There's that cynicism. You love us. <laughs> Let's see. We're still poor. We're still dominated by others. We still have all these problems. We're not, we don't have a big, beautiful temple like all the other religions around us. <sighs> Just what kind of love is that? And then God says to us, Hello. God says to us, Don't you remember you had a brother once a long time ago. His name was Esau. Ohav et Yaakov. I have loved Yaakov. The way you can see that I love you is by contrasting the way I have treated you with the way I have treated other nations. And if we recall, if we go back to the books that we've studied throughout all of the prophets that have compared the Jewish people and the way God treated them to the other nations that have sinned, all the other nations that have sinned especially Edom, especially the nation of Edom, which is the nation that descended from (laughs) Esau, are nations that were destroyed and punished and ceased to exist. However, God promised the people of Israel, and if you remember this especially from the second half of the book of Isaiah, that although I will punish you for your sins, I still will maintain that relationship forever, that covenant will last forever. And there God says, V'yes, Esav, Sonnesi, in verse 3, however, Esav, I have hated. V'asim etorob shimama, I have destroyed his mountains. Esav was known, the living on the tops of the mountains were built their cities. V'etnachalato and his inheritance, the area which was given to Esav and his children, L'tanot Midbar, have now become places where wild animals roam. Ki tamar rushashnu, even if Edom says, you know, okay, fine, we have been destroyed, we lost this battle. Let's go back and try to rebuild. God says, no. You think you can rebuild, they can build, but I will destroy what they rebuild. They will not arise again. Edom is gone. I, they, they, Everyone will call and say, and when they look at Edom, they will say, that is the area, that is the boundary where where badness, where wickedness, where evil lived. People will point to Edom and say, ultimately, that is what happens to evil. It gets destroyed and will never be rebuilt. That is the nation that God got angry at, a forever type of anger, anger that lasted forever, that will never never be uh, forgotten so God is saying look at Edom around you in the next verse and you have seen that you have lived through all of that many of the commentaries look at these words and translate them and say you have seen Edom destroyed you have seen what happens to those that I don't love that those that I hate does this mean that God hated the people of course not the point is, is that they were givul rishah. They were wicked to the core, to the extent that God punished them and allowed that entire society to be destroyed. Does that mean there were no survivors? Of course not. It said, Kitoma Edom." If the people want to come and rebuild that kingdom, I will destroy it. The people still exist. The kingdom no longer exists because that kingdom stood on wickedness. But over here, Ve'enichem Torah, I'm going to translate that you, throughout the entire time of history, were witnesses to it you still existed as a people as those other ones were being destroyed around you. The Jewish people maintained their existence and watched as history unfolded around them. Great nations arose and great nations were destroyed, but the Jewish people were, enechem Tirena. they were watching and seeing it the entire time. and now you should say, Yigdala Adonai, God is great, God is made great. from beyond the boundaries of Israel, the way we can tell from within the boundaries of Israel how great God is, is when we see how he acts beyond the boundaries of Israel. Because beyond the boundaries of Israel, those nations that arose and developed cultures that were an antithesis to God, cultures that were against God, cultures that stood for evil, corruption, and so on, did not withstand the test of time. This is something that we see until today. The nations that arose, that based themselves on evil and corruption and so, and so on, those nations as powerful as they may have gotten, those societies didn't stand this test of time. But, but you, the Jewish people, from within the boundaries of Israel were able to watch that as it happened. And you saw it all unfold. That is how God answers us, I have loved you. Because you are still here. Not because you have the great big temple. Not because you're prospering and rich and wealthy and have all of the great wonderful things. But because you're still here. Because I am still with you. Let's go on. Verse 6. We continue with this dialogue. Malachi, as we see, uses this device creating uh, as if there's a dialogue between God and the Jewish people in order to, to drive home his point. So here God is saying, we know it's the nature of the world that a son gives honor to his father Vived Adunnov and a servant gives honor to his master. as we'll see in just a second in the next words, the son's honor to the father and the slaves or the servants honor is more of a, is more of a fear than the son who honors more out of love to his father than a servant to his master but, and, and, but, but we, there is a natural Relationship there, so God looks at the people and says, am of ani, if I am your father." This reminds us of the prayer from the, from the uh, words of the, uh, of the prayer book of the Siddur on Rosh Hashanah. Um, uh, you know the the, the words that it, God can treat us as as sons or as servants of course we'd rather be treated as sons and God says if I am an of I am a father where is that honor you should be looking up to me you should be treating me that way and if I am treating you and if, I, and if you look at me and fear me like a master at least fear me at least have awe for me this is all the words of God and God is addressing these words most specifically to the priests those of you who who, who embarrass my name, who ashamed my name, who stomp on my name, who scorn my name. So God is saying, you don't honor me. You, the Kohanim, you, the priests are supposed to be leading the people and showing them how to give honor to God, and you're doing the opposite. And then the Kohanim are incredulous. And you say to me, what are you talking about? we didn't uh we're not doing any we're not escorting your name god what are we doing we're doing the service in the temple just like you told us you told us to slaughter animals you told us to sprinkle the blood here and there and do this and that we're doing exactly what you said god says it's not the point the point is not that you go through the motions of doing what you're supposed to do the point is how you do it the point is what you mean when you do it the point is that you do it in honor of god what do you do what do you bring in front of me you bring your rejects you bring to me bread that is disgusting when you bake me bread you bring moldy bread you don't bring me the nice bread but you bring me the moldy bread and you're telling me how do have we made you disgusting what do you, how have we defiled you because when you say by your actions The way you act in the temple, you're saying the table of God is nivze, is is lowly, is nothing. I'm like an afterthought. Now I want to point out over here, this is a result of cynicism, the ultimate cynicism. The people saw that the temple was small, saw that the temple was not as grand as they hoped it would be and expected it to be, and they were therefore embarrassed about it. But then... The problem was they internalized that, and they said, when they looked at the temple, it truly is nothing, it truly is worthless. Instead of finding meaning in what they were doing, and honoring God, and honoring God with what they have, it's like a person who has a house that's nothing. But when it comes Shabbat, he and she take their home, clean it nicely, lay the nice a nice tablecloth on the table or at least whatever tablecloth they have that they can afford and if they can only afford one that's torn up and this is all they have they put that out on the table and if they were if in a wealthy house they might have a big beautiful tablecloth with silver and china and and beautiful uh, meat and all kinds of food but in a poor home all they have is what they have they have a little bit of chicken maybe if they're lucky maybe a little bit of fish if they're lucky a little bit of old bread But this is what they have, they honor it, they value it, they cherish it. God is saying this temple that you have in front of me, it's not the fact that it's small is not the problem, but it's the fact that you don't treat it with respect that's the problem. This is what you have, so this is what you should treat with respect. And when you have something that's better, when you have bread that's a better quality, when you have animals that are better quality, then those are the ones that you will bring as a sacrifice to God. Not the, the 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 ruined ones, not the moldy ones. And when you bring a a blind animal as 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 the carbon as the sacrifice, you are trying to get rid of your junk from your flocks by bringing it to the temple. Ein rod, do you think that this is not bad? Do you think that this you're showing scorn? The temple is small, so you just throw at it your junk when you bring the lame animals and the sick and ill animals, do you think that's not bad? Why don't you try bringing that to your, as, a, as a present to your, um, your governors, a pachat, a pachasecha, that is your governors or your officers. Bring that to the big nobleman and see what happens then. Will he give you honor? Will he be appeased by this offering and this gift? Amar Adonai also says God. You're not treating me the way you would even treat a, a a person who's a nobleman in your midst, a human being. You're bringing me your junk. So God is saying, you're not treating my temple with respect. And now, and this is the Prophet speaking, Chalu um, there's, um, I want you, please, go ahead. There, there's two ways to read this verse. One is reading it kind of as a rhetorical device or as a almost a, a sarcastic remark. Go ahead and pray to God, in other words, and see, will God actually listen to you? That's the way many of the... Uh, um, of the commentaries read it. I'm going to go with the Radak, who doesn't read it as a sarcasm at all, but he reads it. Now, no. This is the Malachi instructing the people, no, you have a chance. You can get out of this. Yes, it's true. You have been abusing God. You have not been giving Him proper honor, but chalu Now, please, go ahead. Pray to God. And He can have mercy. He will have mercy if you just finally get the message and turn around. It was because of you, and again I'm translating according to the Radak, it was because of you that this sorry situation occurred. Had you honored what you had, even though it wasn't the grand temple that you wanted, then by now we wouldn't be in this situation. We would have achieved that level of greatness, that ultimate redemption that we were all hoping for. But it's your fault. Because you were so cynical and you didn't take it seriously and you treated it with with disrespect, that's why we're in the situation that we're in. I strongly believe that Malachi himself is telling us the reason why in the second temple didn't become the ultimate redemption. (laughs) It was your fault. You brought this all about, the, the prophet is telling us. So then God says... Am I, so therefore, supposed to still give you honor? Like, am I supposed to still be appeased? Am I supposed to still think you're great? Am I supposed to give you patience and give you all of the things that you wanted? Of course not. You didn't respect me. Me gam bochem v'yizkor d'lasayim, God says. If only you would just go and just lock up the doors of the Beit HaMikdash, this temple you all built for me. This is not, God is saying, you know, Yeah, you're right. It is a little nothing building. But you know why it's a nothing building? Because you treated it that way. Close it up. Lock the doors. This is such a powerful verse. Don't start lighting up fires on my altar for nothing. It's useless. I'm not interested in this. God says, I have no desire for your service for you and what you're doing there. Those are the words of God himself. I don't really want your offerings. I'm not interested. If this is how you approach me, if you approach me with this disrespect, with the back of your hands, with nothing, God says, um, Wow, wow. What strong, strong, strong words from God. I have no interest in this. This is not what I want. And then God says, we look around at the world around us. They understand. They see the Jewish people. They see you here in your temple and they know how much of an incredible miracle it is. The rest of the world looks at the Jewish people and they see the people who have carried the knowledge and the wisdom of God and the mission of God from the time of their inception. For thousands of years, they see it, they know it. Kimi Mizrach Shemesh Biarmivo from the place in the east where the sun rises all the way to the west where the sun sets in other words across the entire world godolshemi bagayam my name is great among all of the other nations they know they understand everyone knows it's you you're expecting something physical you're expecting this grand temple and this grand being the great rulers and the great nation of wealth and everything that's what you're expecting all these other nations they know they see that I preserved you for something else that you have that is so so much better and so so much more important than that. All of those people in the world of Uchol Makom in all places of the world, Muktar Mugash, Lishmi, Uminchat, Tahora, they bring incense, they bring uh, gifts to me, to my name, and they bring offerings, Kigadol Shmi Bagoyim, because my name is great among those nations of Maradonites, for also says God. They see it, they know it. Now, of course. The obvious question is, what do you mean those nations are pagan nations? They all have their own religions. So many of the commentaries understand this to mean, you know, even pagans understand that above all the other gods, that's the small g gods, there is one ultimate god. But, which is true, and we do need to point that out, that even among the the idol worshippers, it's still understood in general by most that there is a great, great Power of God above everything. They know that. They see that. But the the Malachi, Malachi isn't saying. Doesn't doesn't speak that out. Malachi speaks out that that the other nations do appreciate, do appreciate God, and do appreciate who it is. It's the Jewish people that don't appreciate what they have. The ones that are closest. The ones that have that message, the ones that have that wisdom, the ones that have that knowledge and inherited it from their fathers and their grandfathers and so on, are the ones that least appreciate it, which drives to the point and the theme of this chapter, which is we don't appreciate what we have. We're constantly looking everywhere else. This is the sin. This is the reason why the Second Temple did not become the ultimate redemption. For Atem and you, God says. Continuing in this theme and laying it out clearly, what we were just saying, the and you, those other nations, give me honor, but you mechala limo, so you make it like it's nothing, you make it profane. when you say, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you say specifically these words, but with your actions, it's as if this is what you're saying, shulchan Adonai alhu, The table of God is disgusting. And that, the food which we give to God, is nothing it's garbage it's junk let's just throw our junk in there and that's it i know one of the things that's kind of difficult for us to understand is this is the concept of sacrifices in general but we have to step for a moment beyond what our modern sensitivities understandably so the idea of sacrifices is something which we don't get at all and it's hard for us to imagine serving god that way but if you just try to back up to the time when serving a, a God that's with a big G or a little g, depending on the context, with a sacrifice was a way of showing your devotion to God. It was a way of approaching God. It was a way of coming close to Him. Um, then you can understand why when one brings his junk, that his, his sick animals and so on, that he's showing disrespect to the God he's worshiping. He's trying to get rid of his stuff. He's not He's not honoring it. And you say, God uh, God says in verse 13, oh, This is just a pain. Going to the temple and praying is just a pain in the neck. So therefore you make it nothing. You make it uh, lowly. You make it like nothing. So says God. And you bring your stolen items. Here we find a little hint here. It's not just bringing the ones that are lame, but bringing the ones that are stolen, bringing the things that you obtained through ill-gotten means. You steal an animal and throw it on the, and bring it and throw it on the altar as a sacrifice. Rather than taking your own and, and giving of yourself for God, you just grab it from someone else, v'asapiseach and the lame animals, v'asachola and the sick animals. And then you go and bring offerings to me. Should I ever want such things from you? Omar he says, God, of course not. Of course I'm not interested. And and cursed is he who is a nochel. And this is, is the same language of this word, which is the, ver- the, the root of this word means a, a sneak or a cheat, someone that that cheats by by sneaking, by hiding behind the veneer and pretending. He knows that he has the ability to give much more. How many of us know how much more we could give to devote ourselves to God, to devote ourselves to righteousness, to devote ourselves to making the world better? But we get get away, we put on this show as if, "Ah, all I could, I don't have time. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. So we th- chuck a we chuck a penny in. We chuck a quarter in, or we throw in a little bit of effort. That's the nochel v'yesh beedros ochar, but v'noderv is a of ladonai. But instead, even though he has a nice, strong male animal to give, what he gives and what he brings and promises to God is the mashchus, is the disgusting little bit ki melech gadol I suppose? God says, I am a great king I'm not some little king I'm not some little guy that you give nothing to I am the melech gadol and my name is feared and the all of the nations of the world are in awe of me you, the people of Israel the representatives of God on this world all the more so should be the ones that are Appreciate me And are in awe of me And I have loved you I have treated you well I have Unlike any other nation You have lived through the destruction And come back to your land Rebuilt your temple Something that defies human history And as we can see Thousands of years later Has continued to defy defy The rules of human history But we still don't get it We still don't see it Other nations around us see it But we don't Thank you so much for studying Malachi chapter 1 together. Looking forward to studying chapter 2, chapter 3, and completing this book of Malachi and completing the 12 Minor Prophets together.